share our faith with Mormons who come to our door or that we meet in the community? What's the difference between the Mormon concept of God and how it differs from Christian beliefs? What do Mormons believe about Jesus and how is this different from Christians' beliefs? Why is it important that we talk about these things with our family, friends, and those who come to our doors that are Mormon? Today, I'm interviewing Bill McKeever, the founder of Mormon Research Ministry. This is Kay Meyer, president of Family Shield Ministries and your host for today's program. Thanks, Bill, for being our guest today. My pleasure. Good to be with you. Thank you. I always enjoy interviewing you, and uh, we've done that numerous times. Uh, One of the topics that I did some years ago and I could not find anymore is to talk about uh, the Mormon God and the Godhead that they have versus our triune God. I think it's important that we talk about that, and thank you so much for your willingness to address that today. So what is the difference between the Mormon concept of God and how it differs from Christian beliefs? Well, as we know, historically, Christians have believed in one God, eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Joseph Smith, the founder of the LDS movement, introduces an idea that really is completely foreign to Christianity, and it would be what we categorize as tritheism. In other words, there are three separate gods that make up the one Godhead. Now, sometimes you can may hear Latter-day Saints say that they do believe in the Trinity, but it's more of a social Trinity. It's not really the Trinity that we understand from Scripture. They are still three separate gods. The Father is a God, the Son is a God, and the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost is a God. Now, we never find anywhere in Christian history that Christians ever believed anything like this. We know from not only the New Testament, but we know from history itself that Christians were always monotheistic, just like our Jewish counterparts in the Old Testament was a monotheistic understanding, except, of course, when Israel was straying away from the true God and getting involved in pagan worship, Canaanite worship, and things like that. So right there we have a significant difference. Now, some might say, well, is that really a big deal? Well, it it kind of is if you want to be true to Scripture. Mm -hmm. If you say you want to believe what the New Testament actually says, of course it's a big deal, and the Christian Church has always taken that very seriously, because this idea of a plural amount of gods as I said, is completely foreign. And and that becomes important because when you're talking to a Latter-day Saint, you may often hear the word restored. And that's a big deal in Mormonism because they feel that Christianity, after a period of time, after Christ died and was resurrected, that the Church fell into what they call this complete apostasy. And part of that apostasy is our belief in God. And they argue that the Christian Church has always believed the things that they currently believe. Now, what's fascinating about that is we don't really see this idea of tritheism in the Book of Mormon. 
And there's a reason for that. The Book of Mormon was one of the first works that Joseph Smith came out with, and I think it reflects a lot of the theology that he had at that time. But as Joseph Smith goes on, before his death eventually in 1844, he, he changes his doctrines quite a bit. And so when we are reading the Book of Mormon, for instance, we see things like Moroni 8.18 that says, For I know that God is not a partial God, neither a changeable being, but he is unchangeable from all eternity to all eternity. Now, as a Christian, I can resonate with that because that sounds very similar to what we find in Psalm 90, verse 2. It says basically the same thing. But what that tells us is that the God that we worship, the God that we read about in our New Testament, our Old Testament, was always God. Well, Joseph Smith comes along later on, and he, he argues against that. He starts teaching that the God that he worships, at least, was once a human being. In fact, he said that God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heaven. This is the great secret. If the veil were rent today, and the great God who holds this world in its orbit and who upholds all worlds and all things by his power was to make himself visible, I say if you were to see him today, you would see him like a man in form, like yourselves, in all the person, image, and very form as a man. For Adam was created in the very fashion, image, and likeness of God, and received instruction from, and walked, and talked, and conversed with him as one man talks and communes with another. Well, he goes on to also say that we have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. Now, what's fascinating about this statement is that that comment about imagining and supposing that God was God from all eternity, you have to stop and ask yourself, why would his audience that he is addressing at that time, because this was a sermon that Joseph Smith gave, why would they have imagined that God was God from all eternity? Well, they probably imagined that from reading Psalm 90, verse 2 in their Bibles, but they probably imagined that from reading Moroni 8.18 in the Book of Mormon. So what Joseph Smith is doing here towards the end of his life, he's actually shifting gears in quite a serious manner and is introducing a concept of God that not only is foreign to Christians, but would even be foreign for Latter-day Saints up until that time. And I don't think a, a lot of Christians understand this. I don't think a lot of Latter-day Saints understand this. I don't. I find in my conversations with Latter-day Saints, they don't always seem to know their own history and how some of the things that they believe today came about. And they don't see this evolution of theology that you would think should not change at all. I mean, if God was God from all eternity, he's always God from all eternity. Mm -hmm. There's no way you right. can change mm -hmm. that, but yet Joseph Smith tries to do that mm -hmm. later on in the sermon that he gave right before he died. Oh, wow. Okay. So you've given us a lot. Thank you, Bill. That's wonderful. Um, and and I, it's a good overview. Just a couple other points as we think about the concept of God with Mormons and um, with Christians that believe in God the Father. Um, their God is not omnipotent, all-powerful, and not omnipresent everywhere at once. 
Uh, can you just touch on those two uh, additional issues as we continue sure. talking? Uh, uh, yeah. Brigham Young made it clear that the Latter-day Saints worship what they call a finite God. Now, he is everywhere present, but that's through the ability of the Holy Spirit that, I guess, relays information back to the one they call Elohim, or Heavenly Father. But if you ask the Latter-day Saint, is your God all-powerful? They would probably say yes to that, but you have to take that in its proper context, because Latter-day Saints believe that when they become gods, and that is a doctrine of Mormonism, that they themselves will become omnipotent. Now, the problem with this, of course, is you can only have one omnipotent being at any time. And yet in Mormonism, they believe in this concept that been known to be called the infinite regression of gods. In other words, the way Joseph Smith taught about his God, his God was once a man who was the offspring of a God who was once a man, who was the offspring of a God who was also once a man. And this pattern supposedly goes clear back into eternity past. Now, what concerns us as Christians is if this pattern is true, then we don't have, as we read in our Bibles, in the beginning, God. Mm -hmm. What you have to have is in the beginning, man, Mm -hmm. because Mormonism teaches it's imperative that you must be human before you become a god. Mm -hmm. That's why a lot of Latter-day Saints are hoping that after they die, if they're good enough, they will be exalted, Mm -hmm. be a god, just like God is God, though they don't believe they're ever going to surpass in power or knowledge the God that they currently worship. Now, if that's true, and we want to be consistent, that would also mean that the one they are now worshiping as God cannot be as powerful or no more than the God that preceded him. Hmm. So with every generation of gods, According to Mormon theology, you would have to assume, if you're going to be consistent, that they are less and less powerful and knowledgeable than the gods that preceded them. And see, when I talk to Latter-day Saints and we're discussing who God is, I I often want to relate to them, look, I want to worship the God that started it all, because that seems to be the God that's talked about in the Bible. The God of Mormonism certainly can't be that God, because he didn't start it all. He's one of a number of offsprings of some God way in distant past that was there in this quote-unquote beginning. But even that becomes confusing, because there really is no true beginning in Mormonism. It just keeps going on into eternity. There is no primary cause, as we would understand it, one God that creates everything. They are merely creating offspring that are reorganizing matter on their own worlds and and starting over again. And of course, that's what Latter-day Saints are hoping to do, at least the males. They're allowed to become gods. Women aren't. Mm. But they can become gods over their own world, and the offspring that they create and take on flesh on those worlds will worship them as God, as Latter-day Saints are now worshiping the one they call Elohim as God. So it gets 
kind of deep and kind of confusing. Kind of confusing is what I was thinking as I was listening to you. Wow. So much more we could talk about. But let me uh, just uh, ask, what do Mormons believe about Jesus and how is this different from Christian beliefs? I think this is very important. Yeah, the Jesus of Mormonism, it, it, it's very interesting what they say about him. Uh, they will say, well, we, we worship the historical Jesus. We believe in a Jesus who was born in Bethlehem and such like that, died and resurrected and such. But yet when you listen to some of the leaders speak about the person of Jesus, his mission, what he, did, what he accomplished and so forth and how he did it, we start to see another divergence. And in Mormonism, it's taught that their God, Elohim, or Heavenly Father, is married in heaven to an individual they call Heavenly Mother. She, she doesn't even have a name. She's mm. just referred to as Heavenly Mother. And through a, a physical relationship as exalted beings with bodies of flesh and bones, they are creating spirit children, okay? That's what we were as humans before we came to Earth, according to their theology. We were in the presence of our heavenly parents as they are creating all these offspring, and then we were waiting to take on human form here on Earth in order to prove ourselves worthy to get back into the presence of Heavenly Father. Well, what this means is not only are you and myself and all other humans that we live among, we once existed as spirit children of God. It's also taught that Jesus himself is one of these spirit children. But somehow, and I can't find any real explanation for this, but somehow Jesus became God in the preexistence. Now, that seems odd in the context of Mormonism, because it's taught the reason why we had to come to Earth was because we couldn't become gods in the preexistence, because there was not a necessary amount of temptation in order for us to prove ourselves worthy. That's why we had to come to Earth. But somehow Jesus does this, and and I can't find any explanations from LDS leaders or manuals that really tell us how this happened or why. But they also will teach that even Lucifer himself was a spirit child of God, and that's where you get the Jesus and Lucifer being brothers concept. And I know sometimes Latter-day Saints kind of bristle when a Christian brings that up, and I I was just talking to some Christian brothers yesterday who were having a conversation with a Latter-day Saint, and one of them said that his acquaintance was telling him, well, this idea of Jesus and Lucifer being brothers is not official doctrine. Mm. And that's a catch mm, yeah. you often official hear when you bring up some of these mm-hmm. things. But it really is, because if, in fact, we're all spirit offspring of God the Father and Heavenly Mother, and Jesus is one of those spirit offspring, and Lucifer is one of those spirit offspring, and we are one of those spirit offspring, then of course we would all be related as brothers and sisters, according to this concept. And I've never heard any LDS leader or read in any church manual that denies this idea that Jesus and Lucifer are brothers. Now, as Christians, we would have a problem with this idea because, you know, Lucifer is an angel, okay, mm. a created being, and so he wouldn't fit that description that the Latter-day Saints have for us. But they would argue that 
Jesus uh, had a ministry on earth, and this is where the similarities would be, would be, and this is where they would hone in on, but they would also teach that Jesus atoned for the sins of mankind in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. And it used to be years ago that Gethsemane was the strong emphasis where the atonement took place. Now they're kind of throwing in the, the crucifixion as well as the resurrection, as this is all a part of the atonement. Well, I think what we can say regarding this garden atonement is it's not possible because in an atonement you need a death, and Jesus didn't die in the Garden of Gethsemane. He dies on the cross later on, but you have LDS leaders saying that the atonement took place not only in the garden, but on the cross. So my question is, is, well, what did he atone for in the garden that was necessary to complete on the cross? Again, I can't find any authoritative response to that, but there seems to be a two-part atonement here. Now, did he do it in the garden? If so, if he paid for all our sins in the garden, as some LDS leaders and scholars have insisted, then what was left for him to do on the cross as far as the atonement? So again, even in this area, it gets a bit confusing as well. Let me uh, go ahead and make some announcements, and then we'll continue talking about what the Mormons believe about Jesus that is different from what Christians believe. Family Shield Ministries cares about families growing in Christ and equips them to witness to each other and to the world. The Family Shield radio program is aired on 50 stations throughout the United States, and our podcast is heard on many podcast platforms. We also coordinate the Family Shield Countercult Ministry and other educational and evangelism services. This now includes Faith Family Reunion that serves parents with prodigals. Prodigals are adult children that grew up in the faith but have left the faith. Family Shield Ministries is a self-supporting and a listener-funded ministry. We depend upon your prayers, support, generosity, and sacrifice to allow us to share the gospel with those who do not know him and equip Christians to serve and witness. Family Shield is self-governing and self-supporting. Please pray for us, mail a donation, or give a one-time gift or a monthly gift on our website, www.familyshieldministries.org. I want to go back to talking with Bill McKeever, and we're in the middle of talking about who is Jesus and what do the Mormons believe about Jesus versus what do Christians believe. Very different. But I also want to take just a minute to ask Uh, Bill McKeever, about the Utah Christian Research Center. You're in the middle of a a new, very large project. Can you just kind of summarize that for us before we get back to how important it is to know who Jesus is? Yes, I'd be glad to. For years uh, after moving to Utah, I volunteered at Sandra Tanner's bookstore, the Utah Lighthouse bookstore, and we would get a lot of Latter-day Saints come in there, a lot of Christians with questions, and we had resources that would help Christians better understand Mormonism. And as many probably don't know outside of Utah, or not familiar with her ministry, she, she was involved in this kind of ministry for decades. She retired uh, at the age of 82, wow. and uh, so the bookstore has been sold. Well, a lot of people were asking us if we would maybe start something very similar to that. And so Eric, who works with me, Eric Johnson, we were praying with a lot of 
friends who are, are very uh, sincere and, and behind this ministry. And we felt to move forward with something like that, but much broader than what Sandra was doing. We not only want to have resources, the same as Sandra did, but we also want to have a research library. Many of the books in this library will be those that Sandra and Gerald themselves used in their research, as well as other books that we have that we want to add to this. Also, that will be available for people who want to look at the hard copies of some of these teachings in LDS history. We also want to have a classroom where we can teach mission teams that come to Utah. We do that a lot, especially during the summer, and many times I have to scramble to find a building where we can meet because there's too many to meet in my front room. Mm -hmm. And so this will allow us to have a classroom study that not only we can have uh, mission teams come, but also we can have classes maybe during the week on various subjects using some of the expertise of pastors and other Christian leaders here in the Salt Lake Valley. We're also going to include some artifacts, archaeological artifacts, uh, that Eric has collected over the years on his many trips over to Israel, trying to show people that the Bible is a book of real people, real places, and real events, as opposed to the Book of Mormon, which of course cannot claim that. And we also want to instruct people on how our Bible came down to us. So we're going to have a lot of these displays as well. So it's kind of a combination, Mm. bookstore, museum, classroom, research library. And we should be closing on a property that we uh, are in contract now. It should close on August 1st. And we get the keys, and we're going to start getting this thing ready, hoping to open up maybe in a couple, maybe three months, mm. maybe around the end of the year. So, yeah, we can use Wonderful. a prayer on that. Would you uh, share your website so if people want to learn more, they can do that? Certainly. They can find information on this at uh, www.mrm.org. If they scroll down, they'll see a box that talks about the Utah Christian Research Center, and that will take them to another page that has a lot of information on this. But Great. We haven't yet set up the website for this, but That's we all right. will have the URL. It'll be there. Utah Christian. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. And and just asking our listeners to keep that in prayer, because that's a big step of faith. And it I, is. I it hope is. it, I know it will, because God has led you be a blessing to the whole body of Christ. So we were talking about um, what Mormons believe about Jesus and how it's different from Christian beliefs. Just go ahead and continue talking about that. I mean, obviously, uh, groups like Mormonism, um, uh, make Jesus less than he is. Uh, how do they do that? Well, this idea that he had to become God. Of course, Christians have always maintained that Jesus is always God. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of becoming God, just like their idea of God the Father becoming God, would be very problematic. But what's confusing is sometimes, even though with all these different descriptions of Jesus, you know, for instance, you have Bruce McConkie, who talks about the Jesus that we worship is not the true Jesus, okay? Why would he say something like that if that's not what he really believed? And then you have other leaders like Bernard P. Brockbank, who says, it is true that many of the Christian churches worship a different Jesus Christ than is worshipped by the Mormons or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You have also Gordon B. Hinckley in a conference message say that as a church, we have critics, many of them. They say we do not believe in the traditional Christ of Christianity. There is some substance to what Mm -hmm. they say. Question we have to ask is, why are LDS leaders saying this? But yet, 
most of the time when we talk to our LDS neighbors or acquaintances, they want to insist that our Jesus is the same. This is a disconnect that I find very confusing within the LDS Church, because I think your neighbor is wanting very much to convince you that they're just a fellow Christian with maybe a little bit more than you have, but yet the LDS leadership knows that their understanding of Christ is significantly different. So when I hear LDS people on the street insisting, well, we believe in the same Jesus as you, I like to ask them, well, why do your leaders say that's not true? They don't often have a very good answer for that, because they just want to believe that, I guess, they're the same, so that they can have some kind of camaraderie or being under the big umbrella of Christianity with us. And if you have someone talking to you that's trying to convince you that we're not much different, this is the kind of language you're going to hear. I rarely, rarely come across Latter-day Saints in a regular setting where they want to just discuss the differences. That's Mm -hmm. just not something they normally do. Now, the apologists in the LDS Church, they might want to do that, but not normally with your average member. So I think we need to take seriously when LDS leaders, such as Gordon B. Hinckley, are saying that they don't believe in the traditional Christ of Christianity. We need to to, to take that seriously. We can't just blithely ignore that mm-hmm. and take the word of, let's say, your neighbor on, on the other side of the fence in your neighborhood. Right. And uh, I know one of the issues is they don't pray to Jesus, so therefore they don't worship Jesus, correct? Yeah, they claim that they worship Jesus. Gordon B. Hinckley did claim that he worshiped Jesus. He said, we worship Christ. But you're right, they're not supposed to address their prayers directly to him. Uh, They're always supposed to direct their prayers to the Father in the name of Jesus. So when we bring up the subject of worship, you would think, well, if prayer is a part of worship, that would be one aspect where he would be exempt. Uh, Now, a Latter-day Saint might say, well, we do sing songs about Jesus in our church services and such, and they might feel personally that they do worship him in that sense. But it is odd because we do find places where you know, prayer is directed to Jesus. Even in the Book of Mormon, you can find at least one case of that. But yet, that's something that Latter-day Saints are told that they're not supposed to do. You know, when we talk about the differences between their Jesus and ours, of course, there's a lot of other things when you look at some of the teachings of the past, such as how their Jesus was supposedly married when Mm -hmm. he lived on the earth. And of course, in Mormonism, marriage is very important. You can only uh, become a god in Mormonism if you are married for time and eternity here on earth, which makes it necessary for Jesus to be married as well. All right. Very good. Uh, This was such a quick program. I guess we should have done a two-part series. Thank you so much, Bill McKeever of Mormon Research Ministry. And uh, let me just mention again their website, www.mrm.org. If you want to learn more about Mormonism, they have a wealth of resources. We also have many interviews that I've done with Bill McKeever. You can find them on our podcast if you do a search for his name. Again, this is Kay Meyer, our website, www.familyshieldministries.org. God bless you, and uh, thank you so much for listening to Family Shield. You've been listening to Family Shield, 
a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, 7045 Parkwood Street, St. Louis, Missouri, 63116. And tune in again next week for Family Shield. Thank you.